The choice of Miles asking for Michael Jackson, Earth Song. It's 8.41 you are with SFM 104-107. And it's time for us to go into word domination. So last week uh, we chatted to Sarah Mokwebo, the founder of the book Stockfell. We got a huge response to the work that they were doing. And one of the questions that we raised, or one of the things that we raised, was this idea of book covers, the dust cover of a book. So we're not talking about when you read that book on your Kindle or your iPad or whatever. We're talking about the physical book. And that seems to be something that is growing strength to strength, surprisingly. And uh, I did read an article somewhere that they said that part of that growing of strength to strength was about COVID. And I imagine that's uh, when people are in lockdown, they want something physical. I don't can't answer that for sure. So we were looking at what is the perfect dust cover? What does a dust cover, the cover of a book, mean for you when you read that book? How does it feel? How does it, is it the, is it the texture of the cover? Is it the actual images? And uh, I was saying that possibly for me, one of the greatest covers of all time is the book Clara and the Sun, which was released uh, in the last year by Sir Kazuo Ishiguro. Um, he won the OBE in the UK. He's a British novelist and short story writer. He was, in fact, born in Nagasaki, but moved to Britain at a very young age. I think he was five or six. And uh, then won the Nobel Prize for literature as well. So he's won many a prize and, of course, the Nobel Prize for Literature in 2017. He also won the Booker Prize for the famous The Remains of the Day. You'll remember that particular book was then made into a film. Nevertheless, Clara and the Sun is this exquisite book. And what makes it so beautiful with regards to the cover is that it is not simply what you see on the cover, but if you then turn uh, to the... um, 90 degree angle of the image of the pages there's print on the pages as well so the entire book becomes an artwork and the the actual book itself is orange and then the pages are, are either blue or yellow i don't have it in front of me so i forget but you constantly like seeing color and image in that rectangle that is the book for me that is one of the most beautiful covers and it is purely a color extension for me it's not necessarily an image that reflects anything in particular but it is quite wonderful so we thought we'd ask someone else about uh, what they feel are the beautiful um, covers and certainly the books that they've read and Manosa Antunia is a PhD candidate in literature at Fitz University but also a former City Press book critic Manosa thank you so much for joining us uh, thank you it's a pleasure to be here so I'm putting the ball in your court, or the book in your court, actually, Manosa. And I want to know yes. from you, when you think about book covers, what are the most beautiful covers that uh, over the years you've uh, looked at with regards to being a book critic, but also as a candidate in literature? Uh, thank you very much. Uh, I think that book covers are extremely important. In fact, as important as the content of the book because they already communicate a lot just by themselves. And oftentimes, I mean, I'm a book critic and I study literature. I have lots of books, uh, you know, in my house. So I'm able to look at a book cover, let's say if I read the book, and be able to resonate with the message that might be in the book, you know, with what the book might be saying. So the art form of a book cover is yeah, as critical, as crucial as yeah. what is inside. Uh, interesting that you should ask this question because, I mean, there are 
four books that I've been rereading at the moment. Uh, well, one, you know, I'm reading for the first time, but the other three I've been rereading and I've just really read them because of uh, the covers. Um, the first one is, I'm not sure if you'd be aware of it, it's called What Kind of Child by the South African author Ken Berry. Yes. Uh, it, it has an absolutely stunning, stunning cover where you have a child sleeping and while the child is sleeping, there is a hand, seems to be a hand of an adult that is next to it. And the hand of that adult uh, is tattooed, there are tattoos in it. And there's something that looks like a snake that almost wants to bite the child in its sleep. And it always amazes me that you look at this cover and you almost get the content of what is in the book. And I think part of what the book communicates is you know, what happens to children who are born into, let's say, destitute environments, who are born into conditions that they did not will, as we all are really born into conditions that did not will. And this image of the snake that seems to be biting the child says everything about how life might transpire uh, for that uh, child, I suppose. And what is interesting with the cover is that, you know, if I open the book now, the epigraph actually comes from... Uh, J.M. Gutierrez's novel, Disgrace, and the epigraph says, what kind of child can seed like that give life to? Seed driven into the woman, not in love, but in hatred. Mm. And you just read that epigraph from the novel, Disgrace, and you look at the cover, and it says everything you need to know about the book. So, you know, Manosa, what, what's, what you're talking about, well, I think you're talking about, is this idea that you could look at a book and it could imply a certain... Na- the narratives of the book. So if I look at, um, if, if we look at that, what kind of child? Yes. It, it lifts up a slight, ang- there's a level of anxiety when you look at that image because it's not, yes. it's not a safe child. So yes. instantly you, you get a sense of what that book is going to be about. Yes. So when you choose your books, and I'm not talking about those you have to read um, yeah. for, for your PhD candidacy, yes. but uh perhaps even when you were a book critic, would that, yes. would that impact the choice of books that you would choose? Um, well, I mean, that would be difficult to say because with, I mean, when you, when you buy books, let's say they, they, you know, they'll be their popular names, you know, uh, that you'd always just, you know, buy their books regardless of what the cover might be, you know, mm. like you just buy it because it's from this author or you've read, you know, the reviews of the book uh, and they've been good. So you just, you know, so you just buy it. I suppose the tricky thing with book covers is that it, it, it may as well be the case. I mean, even though there might be, you know, the initial thing that makes you buy a book, but they somehow always seem to come more strongly after the fact of having read the book and understanding what the cover image is about. Would you, if you uh, work with an author, would you suggest certain things to them? Are there certain covers that you would say, no, that's, that's not a good idea. Don't go with that process. Well, I mean, I suppose that is why a, a lot of times with book covers, you always need to, I mean, a lot of publishing houses, as far as I understand, you know, would, you know, an author would write a book and after they've written it, they would send that book to uh, an artist, you know, uh, someone who's, you know, people that, you know, that, that, that work with creating the craft of creating book images and based on what we believe, I suppose, is the gift that an artist might have, yeah. then they would be able to, I suppose, to understand what the message is and they would be the ones that 
crafted uh, that yeah that would create the cut of the book. So it would not be within me. You 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 leave that to gifted you know to gifted artists, painters, and so forth, or photographers to work on the covers based on their intuition. And of course, as a publishing house, I suppose you know as a, one would sense whether or not the book cover communicates what is in the message. Yeah. Manasa, you said that there were two other books that you were that really struck you and that you think about when you think about a book cover. Which one is that? Yes, uh, the second one is I'm actually yet to read the book. Uh, it's by Dr. Susan Bofu Walsh. Uh, oh, I'm not sure if you're aware of it. He's yes. just released a new book as well. Yes, yes, yes. It's called uh, The New Apartheid. Yeah. Uh, and it says, you know, the, the subtitle is Apartheid Did Not Die, It Was Privatized. And in the book cover, you have uh, a flag, you know, of the new South Africa and of the old South Africa as well. So obviously, one already gets the sense that, you know, Dr. Mbofu will be talking about, uh, will sort of be making an argument that seems to be too obvious to many of us, which is that, you know, there's a link between South Africa's past and its present, right? We, we all know that it's not new news at all. But yeah. what's interesting in this cover is that, you then have uh, an epigraph, which is very, not, not an epigraph, you have, is it a blab? You know, you have a blab by uh, advocate Chembekang Mugai Tobi. Yeah. Uh, you know, that says it explodes the myth that apartheid is a thing of the past, a hugely important book. Now, sort of assuming we know uh, advocate Chembekang uh, Mugai Tobi, it's an interesting blab, you know, uh, mm. to have, you know, on the cover of the book, and one looks forward to seeing what the book will be about. But it's also interesting plan in the sense that it says explodes the myth that apartheid is a thing of the past. You know, as, as a reader you go like well, I sort of know that, you know, like why 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 should I read the book? We talk about this all the time. But because we have to read books and we always have to be illuminated, <laughs> one, you know, will open it to see what's inside and what new surprising insights might be there. I love that you say because we have to read books. We certainly do have to read books. We do have to go to a break, but I want to ask you because what you're saying about the blurb and you mentioned the epitaph a little earlier is is very interesting because it gives the sort of like, it's like the blue tick on a tweet yes. that suddenly, or, or on a WhatsApp, or it's like a like. Yes. So yes. let's, when we come back from the break, we'll go to that. At SAFM Radio and at Mesh Constant on SAFM. 8.52. Don't forget, after the news, our guest presenter is Dante Pai. He's an economist and a founding director of Nation Advisory and Research. He's also a, col- a columnist for South Africa's Business Day newspaper and the Daily Maverick. And he's written some really, really fascinating uh, papers and opinion pieces around how we look at the economy, but also how we look at social justice and justice in general. We are staying with books, though. On the line, we've got Manosa Ntunya, who's a PhD candidate in literature at Wits University, but also a former City Press book critic. And uh, we've been talking about the idea of what a book cover, the dust cover of a book, the physical book can actually tell you when you read the book. One of our listeners says uh, that she thinks that um, Future Next is brilliantly descriptive. And, of course, that's the book by uh, Dr. Iraj Abedian and John Sinai. And it's uh, focusing on reimagining our world and conquering uncertainty. And it has an image of a sculpture which has then been reshifted or fragmented, I suppose one could say, as we look at a very different world. We were talking about the um, epigraph, but also the um, the foreword often of a book, or even 
the blurb. Manoza, you know, you mm. mentioned um, the good advocate Ngukai Tobi, and in many ways to have someone like that write the blurb instantly mm-hmm. gives your book credibility. And anybody I, who like goes, okay, we've seen him, we know what he does, we, he's just like super smart. Wow, now we want to read Cizwe's uh, book as well. Certainly, certainly. I mean, uh, you know, every most authors, you know, want their books to be blabbed and they want to be mostly blabbed by people, I suppose, whose politics or whose views they agree with. So immediately, let's say, if you're a fan of the advocate, you'd want to get his books, have him, of course, let's say if you've read his previous two books, advocate's previous books, you know, you'd be interested in what it is that he found so illuminating in this new book. Yeah. So, mm. so what's your third cover? Uh, the third cover is uh, actually a very interesting choice uh, being Mandela Month. Uh, it's, it's a book, I'm not sure if people are, I mean, I think people are aware of it. It's Nelson Mandela's, you know, autobiography, which yes. was actually the last one uh, which was written with Manga Langa, and it's yes, titled yeah. Dare Not Linger, The Presidential Years, with a prologue by Grasa, uh, you know, by Grasa Michelle. And it has a very interesting cover because it's a photograph of Nelson Mandela uh, in it. And what's interesting about this photograph, you know, which, which, which I think makes the book exquisite, is the fact that it's really difficult to read Nelson Mandela's face and what is communicating. You know, mm. is he is he happy? Is he sad? You know, is it in between? And I have to tell you, Michelle, that I mean, I I sort of always have uh, the book um, on my desk, and and I'm being honest if I say this. Sometimes I look at the photo, and it looks as though Nelson Mandela is smiling at me. And <laughs> sometimes I look at it, and you know, it's, there's nothing being communicated at all. Sometimes the eyes are sad. So I suppose what you know. I mean, which, which, again, I suppose, goes into the whole notion of, you know, when you choose a book cover, you really need an artist of incredible talent to be able to give something ambiguous in the, you know, the whole cover. And, of course, when you read the book or when you think about Nelson Mandela, you know, his life, uh, his legacy and so forth, it's always this ambiguity that we're always dealing with. And I think that his last book, his sort of his last biography, is exactly that ambiguity as well in cover. You know, there's always that idea that certain photos, if you take them at a certain angle, then no matter which angle you look at the photo, it's as though mm-hmm. the eyes are following you or looking at you. And I'm actually looking at the image of a Dare Not Linger, the presidential years, yes. Uh, yes. written by Nelson Mandela and Mandela Langer, and, yes. and thinking, you see, they do. They fo- His eyes follow you, which is... Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Exactly, exactly, everywhere, everywhere. Well, I suppose that uh, gives you a good um, guide to what your day is going to be. If you know that uh, Nelson Mandela, former president Nelson Mandela, is watching you and watching <laughs> over you, you know that you've got to behave really, really well. Uh, yeah, well, it's a great, it's, it's a great, uh, how, how do I put it? Uh, it's, it's, it's a great honor to be followed by such eyes. One would not ask for better. Absolutely. Mendoza, in closing, I'm intrigued. What are you doing your um, PhD in? Uh, my PhD, I'm actually interested in, uh, in play, you know, playwrights uh, ah. in South Africa. Because it seems to me that it's an area of literature that has been avoided or not given much attention to. Yeah. And my sense is that in order to... I don't know, communicate differently in, you know, in South Africa with the post, you know, world that we'll be going into. 
that theater and writing about plays, communicating through them would be extremely important. So my task or my ambition is to, yeah, to look into, you know, how, how plays, you know, South African plays historically in the present have been, you know, have been written. And hopefully, you know, if I find that, you know, God has gifted me with the ability to write plays to get into that and see what I can make of it. You know, Manoza, just very briefly, because we do have to go, but when you look at um, looking at playwrights and play scripts, of course, there's mm-hmm. a huge period in our history um, mm-hmm. where a lot of the theatre that was created was created live and on the spot, and there are very few scripts for those particular productions, as mm-hmm. well-known as they are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Certainly, certainly. And I feel like, I mean, part of I don't know, responsibility that I would like to have, of course, depending on, you know, where life takes an individual, is to actually yeah, bring those scripts up into public attention, you know, because yeah. there's a lot that plays, you know, communicate to us. There's a lot that they say about, you know, the moral, ethical, political, social, economic sectors of society. And to, to think of it, something that we are never really aware of, that the foundations of what we call, let's say, literary departments, you know, literature departments, their foundations mostly lie with, of course, the great, you know, uh, playwright Shakespeare. You know, that's where, you know, modern literature, if you have to say, comes from. And I feel like it's about time that we revise what plays can do and what they can tell us about life. Whew, they can tell us so much. Minoza yeah. Antonia, we look uh, forward to seeing more of your PhD. It's a fascinating topic. PhD candidate in literature at Fitz University and former City Press book critic. And uh, we've got a couple of messages from you guys saying what the covers are of books that you really love and why you really love them as well. What a difference it makes in your world. Nine o'clock, time for the news. Good morning.